The reading is 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and it's on page 1220 in the Church Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appear as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have promised to come as the judge of all. And so speak to us now, we pray, that we would be ready for that day when we shall see you face to face. Give us, Lord, that faith in your promises uh, that makes us right with you. And guide our feet into the way of peace and truth. For we ask it to your Father's glory. Amen. I'll do keep the Bible open to uh, page 1220, I think it was. Uh, there it is, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 1 to the end, as we come to the end uh, of our series in 1 uh, Peter. Uh, just put your hands up if you were here last Sunday when we looked at 1 Peter 4. I was here, I know that, because I preached on it. Marvellous. Uh, well, here's a, uh, an obvious, if uh, slightly uh, sobering thought. Uh, you're a week nearer the grave than you were when you heard me preach last Sunday evening. Rather more positively, if you're a Christian, 
uh, then Paul puts it uh, like this. The hour has come uh, for you to wake up from your slumber, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We're nearer to the end, uh, whether it's the grave or whether Christ comes back uh, first. As Peter puts it uh, back in chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near. And that theme uh, really continues uh, in this last chapter of 1 Peter. I guess we might just say a week on the end of all things is even nearer uh, than it was last week. Uh, But in this uh, chapter we have uh, added to that the God of all grace, we might also say, is near to us. And he is with us, sustaining us on our journey, on that uh, pilgrimage uh, to the end when we shall see uh, the Lord In this last chapter, Peter uh, makes a number of uh, what may seem initially to be unrelated uh, points, uh, coming to the end of his scroll, uh, realizing that there are still a few things he wants to draw to the attention uh, of his hearers. Uh, So in the first four verses, uh, exhorting the elders of the church to be shepherds of God's flock. Uh, Next few verses, verses 5 to 7, commanding all of us to be humble and submissive. And in verses 8 to 11, encouraging us to be self-controlled before his genuine closing remarks. Uh, But before we go through those in a little more detail, uh, I do want you to notice uh, that the uniting theme is indeed the fact that we are called to live in the light of the end. The end of all things is near. Why should the elder uh, devote himself to being a shepherd of God's flock? Well, because, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears... That is, when Christ appears, when the end comes, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Why should we work against our instinctive arrogance and selfishness and instead put on humility, that conscious act of obedience in clothing ourselves, as we shall think in a few minutes? Well, because, verse 6, look again at the logic, it is only those who have humbled themselves under God's mighty hand who will in due time be lifted up. The due time, of course, being when the end comes. And why should uh, we learn self-control? Well, again, uh, you'll expect the logic by now, verse 10, uh, because the God of all grace has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. Uh, Well, when do we see that eternal glory? In eternity. In other words, when the end comes uh, and we see Christ again. And so for all of us uh, who share in the leadership of the church, for all of us in our relationships with one another uh, and with the Lord, uh, for all of us as we deal with suffering and temptation, uh, the key thing at each point is to remember that we are not yet at the end of the road, but that that end is coming. The Lord has gone ahead of us. And he, the God of all grace, will sustain us now on our journey, uh, sustaining us in leadership, uh, sustaining us in humility, uh, sustaining us through periods of suffering. Uh, He will make us, the God of all grace, uh, will make us, in the language of verse 10, uh, strong, firm, and steadfast. And so as we fix our eyes on him, uh, as we trust that the end is near, for Christ is surely coming, Uh, So he will strengthen us, Uh, so he will keep us firm in our faith, Uh, so he will keep us uh, steadfast in following Christ uh, all the way to the end of the journey. So this is still the big picture, uh, just as it was last week. The end of all things is near, and the God of grace is with us, uh, sustaining us on that 
journey. And as we uh, keep that big picture in mind, so we're ready uh, to work through these uh, three sections that Paul, uh, that Peter rather, wants us uh, to consider as we come to the end of his letter together. So first, uh, to the shepherds, uh, to the elders, be shepherds of God's flock. It's striking, I think, the way Peter doesn't introduce uh, this chapter. Uh, I think if he'd been a modern uh, church dignitary, he might have said something like this. Uh, To the elders among you, I appeal to you as an apostle in authority over you. Uh, A witness, he might have said, of Christ's glory. A witness of the resurrection, a witness of the transfiguration. He doesn't do that. Uh, He doesn't draw attention, as he could have done, uh, to his greater authority as an apostle of the Lord Jesus uh, over those who were the uh, the elders, the leaders of the local congregation. Uh, And he doesn't identify with Christ at uh, at the glory of his resurrection or even of his transfiguration, but rather he identifies with them at the point of his suffering. I think uh, the way he puts it here is very striking indeed. We thought last week how Peter, uh, perhaps it was the week before, uh, how Peter uh, uh, himself had failed uh, in his own witness three times. You remember uh, in the Passion account, uh, he had failed when given the opportunity to do so, to declare that he knew the Lord. And yet now he was exhorting others uh, to give uh, glory to God as they looked for those opportunities and testified to the reality of their knowledge of Jesus Christ. Here again, uh, Peter wants uh, to say to us, uh, we need uh, to be able to uh, depend on the Lord's grace and to stand alongside one another, not lording it uh, over each other, uh, and to identify with the Lord in his sufferings. Uh, For that, surely, uh, is where our witness will be most powerful uh, as we take our gospel, his gospel, uh, out to those who are in death and sin and lost. Uh, in uh, the world around us. As we, as we appeal uh, to our neighbours as fellow sufferers, uh, that we will most often find a hearing uh, rather than as those who come in triumphal, uh, as those who claim uh, to have found some great answer. Uh, rather, we appeal to those around us uh, on the basis that we too uh, are weak and in sin, and yet we have found a God who meets us in that point, in his grace. Uh, Paul uh, Peter is a witness uh, of Christ's sufferings and is on that basis that he shares ministry and on that basis that he proclaims the gospel. All these elders that uh, Peter uh, uh, addresses here, uh, the passage is often mined uh, for uh, what it might teach us uh, about modern church leadership. And it is worth looking at it in some detail uh, to see what Peter actually says here. Uh, the language that Peter uses uh, is uh, interesting. The word elder uh, is uh, a Greek word. Uh, it's basically the Greek word uh, from which we get, uh, if we transliterate it, presbyter. And uh, some church uh, structures uh, make a virtue of that. They call themselves Presbyterian. That is, they are ruled uh, by bodies of elders in local churches. Uh, in English, uh, presbyter is often shortened to priest. Uh, That's what the Church of England calls me and George, and uh, next year, by God's grace, we'll call Chris uh, as well. Uh, But it derives from this word elder. 
It's not to do with the Old Testament idea uh, of a man who stands at an altar and offers sacrifices, uh, though the word has been corrupted in that way through church history. Uh, Rather, it derives from passages like this. Uh, It has to do uh, with exercising leadership in a congregation, uh, not over the congregation, as Peter is so clear, but rather as one of them. Not standing between people and God, uh, but rather using God-given gifts of leadership uh, to so serve the local church. That's the elder or uh, presbyter. Uh, Verse 2, the word translated shepherd uh, could equally be translated pastor. The the words are interchangeable. Uh, George has become something of an expert uh, in pastoral work. We've known that for many years here in the congregation, uh, but he's most recently learning to be uh, working on the farm over in Wales. And uh, when he preaches next week on Psalm 23, uh, I'm promised there will be some insights derived uh, from his new calling as a farmhand uh, on his son-in-law's farm. But uh, that's the language. It's an everyday word uh, in the culture of the New Testament, uh, even if uh, not so many of us live in that world today. Uh, The caring for the flock. Uh, in order that they might be fed and watered and have everything they need uh, for healthy and vital living. This is the work uh, that Christ does. He is the chief pastor and that he calls local church leaders uh, to share in as well. Or again, the words uh, pile up, verse 2. We also have the word overseer in that verse. Uh, In the original language, uh, it's the word uh, um, episcopeo, which is uh, often translated as bishop. Uh, And again, where we transliterate it, uh, we get the word episcopal or episcopacy. Um, That's why things to do with bishops in the Church of England uh, are episcopal. Uh, But Peter here just bundles all these words together, as Paul does also, uh, particularly in somewhere like Titus 1. Uh, And this office of a local church leader, uh, the elder or presbyter uh, or or priest, if you must, uh, the shepherd or pastor, uh, the overseer or bishop, they're all words for the same thing, for those who are called uh, to exercise God-given gifts uh, of leadership and care within the local congregation. And isn't it true that so often churches uh, get worked up about titles and hierarchies and uh, who's entitled uh, to particular labels? I don't know if you're familiar with the titles of the Church of England. Uh, If one becomes um, a dean of a cathedral, you're the very reverend. Uh, If you're an archdeacon, you're the venerable uh, so-and-so. If you're a bishop, uh, you're the right reverend. If you're the archbishop, you're a most reverend, uh, and on it goes. Uh, some of those titles are quite easy to subvert. Uh, have a little bit of a think about that. Very reverend. Just put not in front of it and it makes a world of difference when you're addressing a letter to a dean. Uh, all that silliness that goes on here. Here is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ who has seen the risen Lord. And I was with him on the mountain and saw his uh, transfigured glory. What does he do when he's writing uh, to a group of ordinary church leaders, uh, not even named here, unknown to church history? He addresses them as fellow elders and just exhorts them to get on with the task of uh, caring for Christ's people, uh, of exercising leadership for uh, a church needs leaders, otherwise it will have uh, no direction, uh, uh, but to get on with that uh, as they should not lording it over the flock, and not because they must, under some sense of uh, obligation, of weary uh, necessity, but rather because we're willing. 
That is what God wants of us, of any of us. And there are many gifts of leadership within our church. He wants us to serve in this way, in humility and with willingness and with joy as we work alongside our fellow believers. Look at some of the practical things he comes on to say. We're not to be greedy for money, but eager to serve I could be accused of self-interest in pointing out that Peter is not saying that ministers uh, are necessarily always uh, to be uh, self-supporting. The Lord Jesus himself uh, says that the worker deserves his wages. Uh, I don't think he's addressing that issue, uh, but he is addressing the issue of motivation. Uh, Greed and selfish interest uh, are so near at hand in every heart uh, that in this of all work uh, they must be especially guarded against. Uh, Then verse 3, elders uh, are not to lord it over those entrusted to them, uh, but rather are to be examples uh, to the flock. Uh, Peter has talked a lot in this letter uh, about submission. Uh, He's talked about uh, slaves being submissive uh, to their masters, uh, wives to their husbands and so on. Uh, All of us having that submissive attitude. Remember back in chapter 2 because uh, that is Christ's own attitude to his father. Uh, He is the submissive son to his heavenly father. Well, so here for those who exercise leadership in the congregation. Uh, How uh, could we ever think that we might lord it over those who have been entrusted to us? When we serve one who was submissive to his father's will. Now, of course, anyone who is called to leadership in the church, whether formal ordained leadership or leadership in a Sunday school group or a home group or anything else in our own local church life, must not make anything of that authority that is self-glorifying, but rather must devote themselves to being examples to the flock and nothing more. That leadership that is uh, enforced uh, by emotional manipulation or uh, political maneuvering or uh, is aggressive or intimidating just by uh, sheer force of character uh, compelling people to step in line uh, with my vision because I'm the leader is entirely ungodly. It is contrary to the mind of Christ and it is certainly contrary to the teaching of his apostle in this passage here We are to focus instead on being examples to the flock. That's what Peter says, and that is what we must do. And so the end of such godly leadership, we've seen already, and it stands there as an incentive to obey the apostles' teaching. And when the chief shepherd, literally the arch-shepherd, appears, he will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. How foolish our titles and posturing will seem uh, on that day when he is there in all his glory. A great reward is coming, uh, better even than the Church of England pension scheme uh, when the chief shepherd appears. That's the goal. That's the motivation. Uh, that's the reason uh, for serving as leaders. If that is the gift that God has uh, given to you, uh, then use it uh, in this way. Secondly, verses 5 to 8, he says, be submissive and be humble. Again, this uh, theme recurring now for all of God's people. Uh, Formally, there may seem uh, to be a difficulty going uh, from verse 1 to verse 5. If you have a young man who has the office uh, of an elder or presbyter, uh, I remember first preaching on this when I was uh, 26 uh, and ordained as an elder, uh, a presbyter in the church, But it's only a problem once we have a hierarchical model in our minds. 
It only is a problem, as we've already seen, for elders who want to lord it over uh, those who are beneath them uh, in the structure. Once we've actually heard the apostle, well, then there is no problem at all. But actually even phrasing the question, as I say, uh, points to its uh, illegitimacy. And in the good ordering of uh, God's church, it's right that all of us uh, learn a respectful submission uh, to those who may be in formal leadership over us. The New Testament uh, is quite clear about that. We do our uh, duty of obedience to those whom the Lord has placed in authority within the church. Uh, But more generally, all of us uh, need to learn a respectful submission to those who are just older than us. Certainly those who are older than us in the Lord uh, and who may be wiser uh, as they have served him for longer uh, on their pilgrimage. I remember uh, George once telling me years ago uh, of an elderly lady he visited uh, and who until she died would always address him as young man. And uh, I thought that was marvellous. All things are relative, aren't they? And uh, and submissive respect uh, for those who are older than us is always right. Even Pharaoh submitted to Jacob's blessing. Uh, The particular need, perhaps, uh, for those of us who are uh, younger, uh, to learn that uh, more forcefully. Uh, But all of us need to learn that basic quality of submissiveness uh, towards uh, one another. We see that in the second half uh, of verse 5. Peter using this picture of uh, clothing to make the point. It's uh, something we have to choose to do, something that we are not naturally Uh, Something uh, that we must do uh, if we are to live rightly before the Lord, to clothe ourselves with humility. It's not just talking about those with an instinctively gentle manner, uh, but about deciding that in following Christ, we will imitate Christ uh, in serving one another and learning humility just as he uh, was a humble saviour. And so, as one commentator puts it, uh, the exhortation here is not to feel humble, uh, nor even to pray for humility, but to act in a humble way, uh, to give that humility expression in serving others, in taking orders from others, and in fitting in to their arrangements. Friends, that's not instinctive, is it, for most of us? Uh, We want to do things our way. Uh, We believe we know the best, uh, and yet we're called to be humble humble ourselves before others and to put that into practice in the way we actually speak to them, the way we relate to them within the church family and beyond it, and to continue to do it even before those who may have lost our respect or have hurt us, as is always the case as relationships persevere through the years. Why? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That striking similarity uh, with the language of James that we were considering uh, on Remembrance uh, Sunday, last Sunday uh, in the morning service. And so the same message uh, from both apostles coming directly uh, from the teaching of the Lord Jesus uh, himself. Remember the Lord said in Luke 14, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled uh, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. When Jesus said that, uh, he said a few verses uh, later, having explained that the promise uh, will be kept for those who put his command into practice uh, in their relationships, the reward would come, he said, at the resurrection of the righteous. So again, there's this same logic, uh, the end is near, therefore be humble, because the God uh, who will one day uh, you trust lift you up, is looking to lift up those who have humbled themselves uh, before him, and before others in the way they've lived 
here and now. And so Peter pleads with us, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. And spiritually speaking, it's impossible for us uh, to be uh, humble before God and arrogant before other people. Indeed, in one, uh, it's true, I think, to say that the way we treat other people is a good sign of the reality of our heart before God. If we are thoughtless and proud in our horizontal relationships, well, then the reality is that that's the way our heart is set, and it will be true of the way we are with God as well. Oh, to the humble, uh, God gives grace, how we need it, uh, grace to save us from our sins, uh, grace to enable daily humility. Uh, God, uh, in his mighty hand, uh, can give us all we need to live like this. Uh, he is mighty and we are weak. Remember, as uh, James uh, said, those words are so powerful, let me read them. Uh, I know we only looked at them last uh, last Sunday. Uh, Submit yourselves to God, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We must learn humility, uh, Peter says. And only as we've uh, learnt uh, this uh, humility uh, and submissiveness uh, are we ready to hear the most famous verse in this chapter, uh, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares uh, for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares uh, for you. Uh, We don't come to that verse, we can't receive that verse without receiving the two before it. If we're not submissive, well, then we won't come to God to cast anything on him at all. If we're not humble, well, then we won't be humble enough to ask for help from him or from anybody else. But once we've learnt submission, once we've learnt humility, or rather, uh, while we're in the process of learning humility and submission, well, we're in the right frame of mind then, humbly trusting God, submitting ourselves to his will, to cast upon him our anxieties, trusting that he cares so deeply for each one of us. His sheep, we are in the hands of this great shepherd uh, of the sheep. And so Peter recognizes uh, that possibly the greatest barrier uh, to putting this verse into practice uh, is actually that we've not learnt humility and submission. Not actually learnt uh, to put others before ourselves and God at the centre of our lives above all. It's a worrying thought, isn't it, uh, in a verse about anxiety, uh, that actually the greatest barrier uh, to us believing this is uh, that we've not really come rightly to God at all. Why do we become uh, anxious? Uh, we become anxious because we stop looking outside at the frame of reference of our own lives. And thinking that the uh, the answer and the resources are limited uh, to ourselves and what we can see and access, uh, well, of course we become anxious as those burdens come upon us and we realize they're quite beyond our ability uh, to deal with them uh, in any way that is likely to resolve them well. Oh no, Peter says, humble yourself before the Lord and before others. Uh, submit to God and his ways and then cast all your fears upon him. Uh, Trust that he cares for you. And you'll find that uh, your resources are not limited to yourself at all, but rather they're limited only to those resources that are the Lord's. In other words, 
They're not limited at all. And uh, the care uh, that you so depend upon uh, doesn't rest upon your own heart, on your own relationships uh, on earth, but rather it rests upon his uh, inexhaustible grace and care for you. What a wonderful promise to treasure, but set it in its context. Be submissive, be humble, and then cast your cares upon the Lord and trust that he cares for you. And then thirdly and finally, Peter says, uh, to all of us, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, verse 8, prowls around like a roaring lion uh, looking for someone uh, to devour. We have a spiritual adversary who is always looking for ways to overwhelm us. And the Bible uh, is everywhere plain. I'm so grateful that uh, Helen last night was so clear on this point as well. Uh, the devil is not a force or uh, an, a metaphor, but uh, a personal spiritual being who is an active rebellion against God uh, and who desires nothing more uh, than he might destroy human beings uh, by bringing them to share in that eternal uh, conscious punishment uh, of hell. Uh, he is alive and active, uh, prowling round, uh, Peter says, looking for someone uh, to devour. His uh, name uh, literally means accuser or slanderer. His aim uh, is to destroy our trust in the Lord, uh, to break our fellowship with each other, uh, to silence our confession of sin, to undermine our confidence in Christ. His desire is to Make us a kind of people where we strut around proud uh, of our leadership roles if we have them. His desire is to make us self-reliant, thinking of the opposites just in this very chapter. His desire is that we think no one cares for us. And so we are consumed uh, with anxiety, uh, thinking that there is no help from outside. And therefore we must simply turn inwards. And so he looks for us to devour, uh, not in some uh, extraordinary Hollywood kind of way, but uh, just by stopping us listening to the very things that Peter has been teaching us from the Lord uh, in this chapter and uh, in this book. He wants to uh, run us down uh, in God's eyes, and he wants to take us away uh, from that right approach to ourselves and that right approach to the Lord uh, that is the way and the path of salvation. And so verse 9, uh, we uh, have a way uh, to resist the devil. And it's not in uh, special techniques that we need to learn. Uh, it is simply by standing firm in the faith, uh, trusting God's word and refusing to be budged from it. We had, uh, again, a marvelous word from the Lord this morning, didn't we? Uh, in, if you were here in our morning service, if you won't uh, download it, uh, Peter uh, Fraser was taking us to Abraham uh, and the way that he trusted in the Lord, uh, in spite of everything in his senses, uh, telling him that such trust was foolish, uh, that instead the opposition to him, uh, the obstacles in his way uh, were quite uh, impossible uh, to meet uh, in human strength, and they were. And yet Abraham trusted the Lord and kept on trusting the Lord. And as Peter says to us here tonight, it's the same message. Keep on trusting the Lord and the devil will flee away. Stand firm in fellowship with uh, brothers and sisters uh, in the church family and you'll resist the devil. and He will flee far away from him. Uh, We resist him as we trust that his is the frantic activity of a doomed enemy 
that our participation in Christ and in suffering with Christ is not a sign of his victory, but rather of Christ's victory in us. And only the eye of faith will see that. I heard a sermon years ago uh, where... um, Uh, It's always stayed with me. The preacher said, uh, the devil may be prowling around like a roaring lion, uh, but when you know the gospel, you realize he's got no teeth. Uh, He might be prowling and roaring, but if you trust in Christ, he can do you no harm. Uh, He may look scary, uh, but if our confidence is in Jesus Christ uh, and our following of him uh, is growing and sincere, well, then he has no hold over us. For as the Holy Spirit has come uh, to take possession of us, this is not Peter's argument here, uh, but elsewhere in Scripture, well, so other spirits are gone, uh, including that chief evil spirit, uh, even the father of lies himself. Hold fast to Jesus Christ, and he will flee from you. It is no more complicated than that. Uh, For the God of all grace, uh, Peter says, uh, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, And that suffering, as we've seen throughout this letter, is inevitable uh, for uh, Christ's sake and in the normal course of living in a fallen world, uh, a sign that we are sharing fellowship with Jesus Christ and that when the end comes, well, then uh, he will take us to that eternal glory uh, and the suffering uh, will pass out of sight and be seen uh, as a small thing uh, in in the greater context uh, of Christ's resurrection victory that he will share with all of us. And as we trust him, he'll restore us. He'll make us strong, that we feel so weak. He'll make us firm, that we so often wobble. He'll make us steadfast in trusting and following him, even though we have to renew our repentance, not just weekly, not even daily, but even moment by moment. He will soon crush Satan under our feet, as Paul says at the end of Romans 16, and we shall all see our Savior face to face. And so to the God of grace, he says, be power forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Just checking you're still there. Uh, we're going to close. We won't spend long on these last few verses, but just one thing to notice. Uh, grace and peace. Verses 12 and 14, as the letter uh, in its ending, it's also how it began back in chapter 1, verse 2. And what we've learnt, friends, in between uh, over these weeks we've looked at Peter's first letter is how we may have peace in the midst of suffering, how we may have confidence in Christ in the context of uh, constant, uh, confident attacks of an unbelieving world, How we may know that the Lord is with us and the end is coming and it will bring glory uh, even uh, as we struggle with those uh, daily difficulties in our relationships horizontally and vertically. He will take us through. His grace is sufficient. His peace is ours in Jesus Christ. Let's pray to know it together now. Father God, what wonderful ways Peter addresses you in these verses, the God of all grace. Our Father, we depend on your grace and pray to know it now. How wonderfully too, we've uh, spoke, we've heard of the Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd who will one day appear, but who lives even now 
to watch over the flock, to care for us, and who calls us to cast all our anxieties upon you. And so, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, sustain us, we pray. The world will tell us we've failed. Let us look to Christ and share in his sufferings. The world will tell us that nothing is ahead of us. We long for the return of you, Lord Jesus. Please sustain us on the way. Give us of your grace, Heavenly Father. We may be strong, firm and steadfast as we look and long for that end. And so we ask these things, that your Holy Spirit who sprinkled us, so he may sustain us and bring us safely home. For these things we ask to your glory. Amen.